today, I'm reading from Acts 28, uh, 23 to 31. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to the people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For the people's heart have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and in turn, I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught, taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. And now, please welcome Chris Mickens! Thank you. Uh, hey, everyone. Welcome. Glad you're here in the dog days of summer. The big idea for today is this. 2,000 years ago, the church began as a movement. 2,000 years ago, thousands of individuals flood the streets of Jerusalem and beyond. And the unifying idea was that Jesus was the Christ and God raised him from the dead. The first century church had faced opposition and persecution. And never once do we find them like, where's God in all of our suffering? Or where's God in all of this? Instead, we find them as they were persecuted, as they were hurt, as some of them were killed. They, were, they responded not, they didn't shrink back. They didn't fight culture wars. We found that they became emboldened to proclaim the good news that Jesus had come back to life. And the first century church was like nothing else we have ever seen in history before or after. The distinguishing characteristic was not a creed. It wasn't just a set of beliefs. They were defined by their behavior, how they acted. And what we see is that the early church loved like Jesus loved. Here's a few examples. Back in this time, the Roman Empire had slaves, and there were masters, and there were Jews, and there were Gentiles, and there were women. They would all gather together as one people under the same roof and under the same roof to celebrate the resurrected Jesus. In some cases, the very people who put Jesus to death, the Pharisees, were so touched by the love and the miracles that were happening in the early church. These Pharisees, the people that had persecuted and killed Jesus, some of them came to faith in Christ and their lives were changed. They stopped being Pharisees and they started being Jesus' followers. Peter, Peter, the disciple who pretended not to be affiliated with Jesus when Jesus was arrested, he became the leader of the church. And James, the brother of Jesus, was the representative. So the message spread, and it spread, and it spread, and it spread, and eventually it spread so much that the Roman Empire, the Pax Romana, ceased to exist. 
The Roman Empire ended, but the kingdom of God and the church continued on. And to this day, we no longer have a Roman Empire, but we have the Church of Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, the movement, the movement of, the, of Jesus through the church has been hijacked from time to time. People have leveraged it for their own purposes. People have used it to justify oppression and discrimination and racism. People have used it to justify uh, atrocious human rights violations. Inquisitions have been launched. We see a history of hurting the Jewish people. The Jewish people have been mistreated. Mosques and synagogues have been burned. And people have come along over the years and they've made it complicated, exclusive. They've made it lifeless and ritualistic. The church slipped back into having priests where only a few could really be accepted by God. And they used guilt to control things. And then in some places, you could still buy your way to heaven. But those high-profile, tragic stories are the exceptions. They're not the rule. They're not the rule. There has always been a remnant of people who embraced the message and saw that the message would spread. People who believed that religion was not just personal, it was, was it's personal, it wasn't just private, and this message was for all people. And in the name of Jesus, thousands of years later, we see that hospitals and schools have been built in the name of Jesus. We see millions of people who have been fed and clothed and housed in the name of Jesus. Billions of dollars, billions of pounds, billions of marks have been given. Churches have been built. Slavery was abolished in England that fueled abolitionists in this country. And missionaries have traveled to the far ends of the world and risked their lives to take this message to the ends of the earth. And when we read what we just read, what we should do is we should be inspired to understand that it's our generation's turn. More specifically, it's our church's turn. From the very beginning, Nikki and I and our leadership team and Patrick, who's in Ohio right now, we've been about not making it difficult for those who are trying to turn to God. We've tried everything we can to make it easy for those who are trying to find Jesus to be able to find him. And I believe it's time, and the, the leadership team believe it's time for us to become what it was meant to be, the church was meant to be when Jesus launched it. And this means that we move towards movement. The church was originally a movement, and we need to return to being a movement. And a beginning to think like a movement begins that we develop a vision, not just for our church, but a vision for our city. A vision for our city and not just for our church. And what I'm saying is that we could focus on the vision for our little church and our little neck of the woods, and we could try to grow it and add people, and we'll probably do that this fall. We're not doing it in the summer. I mean, geez. Uh, but, like, you know, it'll grow. We'll figure that out. But really, if we want to get at the heart of God... We have to recapture and fall in love with God's vision 
for the city. His vision for people. His vision for our neighbors and our community. Now the Bible tells us that God loves people. He is absolutely in love with you. You're his creation. You're made in his image. And he never made a person that he doesn't love, that he doesn't care about. And he understands that you might be imperfect. God loves imperfect people, and he partners with imperfect people to change the world. How do I know that? Because he uses me. I'm imperfect. And what we believe is that every person in our city deserves a chance to find their home in God, to have a relationship with God. And our desire is to see the lost found, for people to go from darkness to light, for people to have Jesus changing their lives, that marriages are restored, that marriages are healed, that unnecessary interfamily conflicts come to a resolution, that addiction in our city begins to plummet, the crime is on the decline, the people are restored from illnesses, a city where politicians don't do the right thing because they have to, but because they want to. A vision for our city, not just for our church, means that we understand this reality. Every church that started, every 501c3, every big church vintage down the street or the, all the ones in Hollywood or this little summer gathering, every church, every local church that started will one day close their doors. Every church will one day close their doors. But the thing that continues on, the thing that endures, the thing that continues to press in for generation to generation to generation is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God endures and it is propelled forward by love and by the Spirit's power. And the kingdom of God has always continued to move forward. It grows, it expands, it touches new hearts and it transforms lives and it turns old things into new creations. And what we know to be true is that when we start to develop a vision for our city, it eventually becomes a movement. What is a movement? Uh, a movement is something that's bigger than any single church. So in order to recapture the idea of a movement, we need to think like a movement. So what does a movement look like? Well, to recapture a movement that the early disciples began, it means a few things. First and foremost, if you're taking notes, this is good here. It means that you and I, on an individual level, we understand that we can't give away what we don't have. What does that mean? Well, what does that mean? Yeah, of course we can. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that deeply in our hearts, we understand that God has done everything necessary for us to have a relationship with him. We don't have to earn God's love. We don't have to do anything to make God love us more because there's nothing we could do or say to make God love us more or less. He loves us fully. We have been accepted by God through what Christ has done. 
And now we're free to love and serve and help others and participate in others freely because we are already accepted by God. We are already loved by God. And this is the heart of the good news of Jesus. And when we understand that, we actually have something to give away to other people. So we can't give away what we don't have. How do we get it? We first and foremost remember that Jesus has done something in us and he is doing something in us and he's not finished with you. He's going to continue to do things in you until you die, and then you get to be with him. So, but this isn't a funeral. We're talking about the life part. So, second part of a movement is this. We care less about our own little kingdom and care more about God's kingdom. This means that we ask God to give us a passion. It's hard to have passion, right? But we ask God to instill in us a passion to see people come into life with him regardless if they're connected to this church. Whether we see them again or not, that doesn't really quite matter. Whether they get involved in a church down the street, whether they move away, <clears throat> whether they start their own church, we're committed to seeing people enter life with Jesus regardless if it benefits our little circle. Yeah, sure, if someone's looking and getting, wanting to get involved, that's important. But the primary motivator is if we've been loved by God, we are free to love, to bless, to encourage, to practically show the people that Jesus is alive and he loves them. Now, one of the saddest things in the American church is that we oftentimes make it about our little kingdom. We make it about our little churches or big churches. Uh, and when all Jesus asked us to do was join up with the Spirit to help people encounter life with him. It's to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And you see, when we focus on the wrong things, we get the wrong results. So here's what I'm asking you to consider. In the coming weeks, we're going to be doing some interesting things. Uh, and it'll, it'll be interesting for me. I hope it's interesting for you. But like in, in the coming weeks, I'm going to ask you to try to develop a mindset, to take on a mindset that you would start in your thinking and your thinking is, do I, what does it look like to have a mindset to share your life with Jesus, regardless if it benefits you or benefits this church? You see, movement thinking will outlast the life of this church. So what's it look like to have a mindset when you go into situations, it's not about how do I get them to Pack City. The mindset is, what do I do in this moment to bless and love? and encourage because that's the thing that's going to outlast you and us and everything that we see here. So how do we join up with that mindset? And when here's the deal, when you focus on the right thing, God blesses that. And it makes you more attractive spiritually. There's nothing I can do for you physically, but spiritually it makes you more attractive. And consequently, the church grows and all churches grow because you've decided to focus your attention on sharing life with Jesus with someone who doesn't have it, not with intentions bait and switch, but just because you believe it, because Jesus has changed you. Third, for a movement, friendship and collaboration with other, a movement means that friendship and collaboration with other Christians outside of the church. It means that we become friends with other churches. We collaborate. We have common mission and vision. You know, one of the saddest, one of the second saddest things in the American church is that local churches generally don't work together to bless the city, 
to work on mission together. It almost seems like we're in competition with them. I mean, we're not, but like, you know, it feels like that a little bit sometimes, doesn't it? And depending on the personality of the pastor, the Enneagram, which is nothing more than a Christian horoscope, we're going to cut that from the record, but if your Enneagram type is like, I want to win, you're type A, let's go for the gold, uh, like you can feel like you need to compete to grow your thing. That's not multiplication of disciples, that's addition of people in a room that helps you build your 501c3. There's nothing wrong with growing a church. We want us to grow. We want, we want to reach. There's something multiplicative that we see in the gospel. Gospel says go, it says go make disciples. There's multiplication in there, right? So there's math in Jesus' command to us. We want to grow. That's fine. But in that pursuit of growth, sometimes we just don't work together with other churches. American church is notorious for this. And what I'm calling us today, and we're gonna, the leadership team, we're going to lead out in this. We're going to give you opportunities. But I'm asking you to start to have a mindset where you would be willing to start working with other believers to care for and bless the city. In the coming months, we're going to have opportunities for us to work together with other churches, particularly other local vineyard churches. I just got out of this national conference for the vineyard, and there is heat like a good heat, uh, like spicy heat on what God might be up to with vineyard churches in Los Angeles. There's the Valley Vineyard, there's Mid-City Vineyard, there's Westside Vineyard, and then there's, of course, Pacific City Church. We didn't put vineyard in our name because we didn't want any vineyard people transferring over, uh, which we have very few of. That's good. Way to go. <laughs> and there's going to be opportunities for us to work with them and to be able to expand that and collaborate. And movement happens. Movement happens where people are coming to, know life, coming to know Jesus and coming into life with Jesus. When churches are working together and collaborating for common mission and common purpose. And so some of those opportunities are going to be rolling out. We're going to be talking about it more and more. And what I'm just asking you to do is to be open to the idea that you might get to meet some interesting people. And you might be able to do something together on mission. And when we work together, we go further faster. We accomplish more together. Not only on the financial side, our money goes further faster. But the way we do our work in the city goes further. And also, it communicates something to a very disconnected world. That we are one. Jesus' last prayer before he went to the cross was, be one be together, work together. Jesus, Jesus was praying to guys, God, I ask that you would make them one. And so one of the signs of a movement is that you work together, that you collaborate. Fourth, a movement means thick community. T-H-I-C-K. Thick community. And thick community is when you share your life with other Christians. True community is that when you're in a relationship with others, they get to know you, and you get to know them. So to that end, community groups are back this fall. Now, Nikki and I have committed to launch one. It's going to be a co-ed group, uh, and we're going, to, we're going to invite people, and we're going to invite you to be a part of what we're doing, and we're going to meet throughout the fall. Now, and we're also planning on having a handful of other groups. So if, uh, but we don't, we're, we're still figuring out what those other ones are. So if you're interested in that, if you'd like to learn more, let us know. Come talk to me. Thick community. Fifth, 
The sign of movement is that people experience the tangible presence of God. They experience it when we're together and when everyday people are around us. There becomes a tangible sense that God is like doing something in the room. Like it's not just a creed that we like make ourselves feel better, but there's like the potential for anything to happen because the God of the universe is dwelling among us. That becomes a real thing. Our leadership team's desire is when people walk into our environments, our service, one of our groups, when we're hanging out, anything at all, that when people come in, they're struck. They're in awe. Uh, there's a reverence that washes over them. That something, or more accurately, someone else is with us in the room. That the living God has decided to grace us with his presence. Uh, uh, the living God who is leading and loving and guiding and healing. And his name, his name is the Holy Spirit. And that only happens... The Spirit of God only shows up in rooms like ours if we want Him to be here. Did you know that? The Spirit never forces Himself on people. Yes, theologically, we know that He's everywhere all the time. That's what we believe. But the Spirit of God doesn't increase our awareness of His presence, and He doesn't do the extra things unless we want Him to. And what we know from the Bible is that God comes where He's wanted, He shows up where He's wanted. And we only see the fruit of that when we expect God to do something in our rooms. So to that end, I want to encourage you, as we move towards movement, as we try to recapture what the early church was, I want to encourage you to start expecting God to do something at our services. And that God might do something in your life. And that God might do something in the people that you invite to come hear his word. The way you model this is that you respond. One of the ways you can model this to people who are coming in trying to find God is for you and I to be open to responding. That means when we have calls for prayer, like, why don't you come up? Yeah, I know, it's a small church, whatever, but like, get over it. Get, get, out, get out front and say, God, I want you to do something. And expect God to do something. And when you do that, you should expect to receive something from God. But also the other thing is, is you're modeling to people that you're expecting God to do something. And as we move towards that, I believe God will honor that. God, there's no formula to it, but God honors us when we welcome him. And he only comes where he's wanted. It might be, like I said, it might be awkward, but just get over it. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. So, Will Pack City continue to run groups and run services? You betcha. We're going to do all the functions of a local church, right? But it's towards this higher calling, towards movement, where we bring out the best in each other, where we pay attention to where the Spirit is working, where we work with Christians in other parts of the city, where we work to bless our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers with no strings attached. That's the higher call for us. It's bigger than our church, and it's what we have to focus on. So, now let me give you the big but. There's a big but in all this. This is a we thing, not a me thing. And so here's your part. 
be, uh, be bold and be open. Be bold. Be bold in your relationships. Make new friends, but keep the old. Treat others with respect and live with that same level of blessing that God has given to you. Give that away to others. And I promise you, you're going to start to see the lives around you change. I would ask you to be bold in your dreams. And I was thinking about this this morning. Some of you have a dream. And here's what, I, what I'd like to suggest to you is that some of the good ideas and dreams that you have may not actually be originating from you. God may actually be putting those in your heart and you just don't realize it yet. God may be giving you a dream. Uh, and he might be doing something. Just the other day, um, I was with my pickleball friends at the pickleball courts and uh, someone in this church came up to me and said, hey, I got this great idea. You can rent a pool with a pickleball court privately for this many dollars an hour. Um, his name is Dan. He did this. And it's gonna, he, he, was, he was talking about it. And he came up with this brilliant idea. What if we just did like some private like pickleball and hang with people? And I'm like, that is a great idea. And what if, yeah, what if we did that? And like, what if it went really well? And then like, what if we rented it again and we invited a few people from the thing? And, and you start to like build a community of people that want to hang out and play pickleball. But at the same time, you're mixing these Christians with these people that you don't know what they believe, but it doesn't matter, but you're blessing them by having a good time with them. And you don't know what that could result into. And what, what and like, in, in, you know, Dan's just thrown out the idea. What if we just did this? Sometimes our ideas, like he just thought it was a fun idea to hang out over there, but I was looking at it like, that is a brilliant idea to spend time and create community with people that don't have as much community. Some of your ideas that you're getting in your head right now are actually ideas that you have not learned to distinguish that are actually God planting ideas in you for the sake of others. And you don't know. But what I'd like to suggest is that it's possible. So dream, dream big, and be open to the possibility that when you're having your thoughts in your head, that the Spirit of God might actually be talking to you about something really good that you don't realize yet. Number three, uh, be bold in serving others. Way to be bold is to serve others. Do something uncomfortable. Get involved in one of our teams. Serve someone in your, um, you know, in your building if they if they need help or whatever. <laughs> uh, there, if you ask God to give you opportunities to serve, He will honor that prayer, and you will find yourself having to serve others. But that is, a, <laughs> but those are the ways. This is the way God works. The way God blesses others, it's through us. And when you serve others, not only are you changed, but the outside watching world is transformed in their mind. They say, wow, look at those people. They really care about each other. They really care about me. I want that. Um, number four, if you're going to be bold, be bold in your giving. Not just with your time, but with your money. Not because we need your money, but because it helps us go further, faster. We never have to do another fundraiser again. And by the way, thank you to all of those, uh, those of you who uh, have uh, made a special gift to our fund. It's really been going great. 
We have lots of people in this church that are giving and some people outside. And like, yeah, you know, we're working it out. But as we are generous, we need to remember like the money, money, money isn't everything. But your gifts allow us to do more good stuff in the community. And then lastly, just if you're going to be bold, and you're going to be open, be bold with your prayers. In addition to the stuff that's going to happen anyway, let's ask God for some stuff that's going to require him and his power. Pray for the guy in your life that would never darken the doors of a church. Pray for him every day. Pray that God would move people to give millions of dollars to not just churches, but to kingdom enterprises that seek to alleviate suffering and bring justice into the world. Pray, God, cause us to be generous as humans. Pray that billions of dollars, billions of dollars of poorly used assets owned by poorly run churches would get transferred into the hands of church leaders who know how to use them wisely and make a difference. Pray that God starts to heal people in your life. And pray that God would lead students and the next generation into life with Jesus and beyond. Now, back to the scripture that Lupita read at the very beginning, which was lovely. Lupita Davis read this morning. That's Paul, and that's the end of his life. And here's what we know. Paul is a prisoner, and he arrives in Rome in 60 AD, and he was awaiting his accusers. Since he had not been formally charged, he was actually placed under house arrest. He called for uh, different Jewish people to come and meet him, uh, which they were anxious to do, right? You know, this guy's under arrest, can't be affiliated. And many of them, they had heard many people speaking out against this Jewish faction. And Paul explained what had happened to him in Jerusalem, how he had come to know Jesus. And he talks, and then he talks, his, then he ends his talk with this extraordinary message. It's sort of a prophecy of sorts. And what we see is that it actually came true. I'm going to read it again, the end part, because he says this. He says, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And it says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So after two years in Rome, he was released. And then he was rearrested, and he was executed in 67 AD under Nero, the Roman ruler. And so what we see here is that the spokesperson of the church at the time was silenced. But the church was not. The church actually went forward and became a movement, a movement that has swept the nation over and over again. And millions of people right now, more people now than ever before in all of Christian history are gathered in rooms like this around the world celebrating the risen Jesus because of the boldness 
And because of the understanding that we were joining up with something like God's kingdom, it wasn't just our effort, but God was doing something in the world. And he did it. It was God's big idea. It wasn't Paul's big idea. It was God's big idea. And we are honored to be a part of it for this generation. So today is an intro, basically, to where we're headed. We're going to do some really interesting things this fall. I hope to see you around. And the, the point is, it's like, let's move towards that together and see what God does. Amen? Okay, why don't we all stand?